0: You know, the first thing that was in my mind was the idea of sailing under the Golden Gate with my family. And Mm -hmm. we achieved that in 2015. And so the next big goal was landfall in the Marquesas. And I was just thinking to myself, like, what's it going to be like? It was always a visual dream and something that I could close my eyes and I could picture what it was going to be like for my family to enter the Marquesas and what that was going to be like.
1: Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. This week, I have not one guest, but four. A whole family, in fact, the Vauders family, the parents Cameron and Annie, and their two daughters, Issa and Adelaide, who are 11 and 12. When they left San Francisco in 2015 to go cruising, the girls were 6 and 7. And for the past five years, they've been sailing through the Pacific. They have taken some breaks to work and fill up the cruising kitty. Their boat, Banyan, is a 43-foot cutter-rigged Mason. Masons are comfortable and seaworthy boats designed by Al Mason, who I believe came out of the Sparkman Stevens firm and the water's mason was built at the well-respected ta Boat Boatyard in Taiwan. They set out with a plan to spend five years together as a family sailing, and so far they've hit Mexico, the Marquesas, the Tuamatu's, the Society Islands, the Northern Cook Islands, Niue, Tonga, and New Zealand, where the boat is now. They were back here in San Francisco, catching up with family when I had the chance to meet them. And sit down and have this chat. They'll be returning to New Zealand and their boat soon. But I'll stop talking and let you hear their story from them. Here we go.
2: So I'm
3: ann Voder.
1: My name's Cameron Vodder.
3: My name's Adelaide Voder. And
4: my name's Isa Voder.
1: Well, I am sitting here with the Voder family, and I'm really excited to talk to all of you. Tell us where we are, and the significance of where we are.
0: Well, we are here in the San Francisco Bay. We're um, overlooking Aquatic Park, and we're sitting here at the Dolphin Club. And uh, this is very cool for us because we um, departed... Aquatic Park um, hoisted anchor in May of 2015 and sailed under the Golden Gate Bridge, and uh, our boat is currently in New Zealand. And so, uh, over the last four years, we've wandered down down the coast of California, spent a bunch of time in Mexico, uh, crossed this crossed the South Pacific last year, and and uh, our boat is
1: now waiting for
0: us um, happily in New Zealand.
1: I have so many questions about about your trip, but I want to back up and start with where the idea for the trip came from.
0: Well, this was a, a, a childhood dream of mine. Um, I w- as a kid, I ha- I was fortunate to grow up. Uh, I spent about six years living in Sydney, Australia, fell in love with sailing, um, and one of the books that I read as a kid was Dove by Robin Lee Graham, which has been referenced many times in your podcast, uh, and then also Maiden Voyage by Tanya Aibi. And I just... I just thought this is something that I'd like to do in my life. I'd like to go sail around the world. And um, I was fortunate that my family uh, gave me the ability to see the world as a kid. And I'd like to give my kids the same opportunity. And traveling the world on a sailboat is, is a great way to do it. I get to take my home with me. And so it was always a dream. Uh, and then when I met my wife in 19, eight, 1998 and we started talking about marriage in 2000. Three, two 2004, it was always a part of, you know, if we're going to get married and if we're going to spend our lives together, this is one of my goals and this is what I want to go do and I
1: want to go sail around the world. So, And Annie, was it something that he made clear from the beginning when you met that this was one of his goals?
2: Um, I think he kind of slipped it in there pretty stealthily. <laughs> I did not come from a sailing background at all. Um, but as we were starting to date at that time, he was teaching uh, sailing at OCSC um, sailing school in sure. Berkeley on the weekends. And so part of our courtship <laughs> was that he would come out and teach on the weekend. And then at the end of the day, when the wind was just ripping, you know, in the bay at five o'clock or whatever, <laughs> we would get on a little J-24 together and he would teach me to sail. That's an
1: exciting time to learn.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I loved it. And he said, if you love this experience, you know, it's cold and it's wet and, and there's a lot of challenges to sailing in the Bay. And he's, you know, his message to me was, if you like this, you'll really love this cruising community than this world of people sailing around, um, around the world. And, and so he, he kind of just talked about it, in terms of kind of telling the story of what people's lives are like that are doing that. And it's something that was really appealing to me. I really liked that adventurous spirit that he had. It took very little convincing for me. I thought, you know, this sounds, this sounds great. You know, I, I want to have an adventurous, interesting life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, if, I, if I hitch my wagon to this guy, I think we're gonna do it, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> and Adelaide and said, do you girls ever remember a time when your parents weren't talking about Going off and traveling?
3: No. No. They what were always
4: talking about it.
1: And what do you remember when you from when you were younger hearing them talk about
4: and I remember thinking that I was wondering when we were going to do it. And so when mom came up to me and said, okay, we're going to do this in about a month, I was like, yay, and oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> why,
1: why didn't you want to do it?
4: Well... Because I, I we were living on a horse barn, and I liked living there, and I had a bunch of friends there, and because I knew when we f- sailed around the world, we were going to like visit our friends every day, and so I didn't really want to leave my friends, and I didn't really have a good idea of what homeschooling would be, and so, yeah, I didn't. Really want to get into that.
1: What do you think about it now? Is, has your uh, do you think your thoughts on it have changed?
4: Yeah, it's not as bad as I thought, and it, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's pretty good. Well, that's better than w- what it sounded like you were you had feared. What? Uh, how about you, Adelaide?
3: Um, kind of what Issa said about the friends part. I I'm not used to not seeing my best friends for less more than a week
1: talk about friends when you're off cruising did you meet other kids along the way you become friends with yeah where and how uh, tell me like about m- how you met some some of the friends that you have
3: um mom uh, meets some of most of them on facebook mm. um and then um mom says that oh they'll be in the anchorage at this time and maybe we could hook up um and then also if We've already got boat friends that we know. They'll tell us about other boat friends that who we'll meet, and they'll tell us about other boat friends. And so it's kind of just like a chain.
1: It just grows and snowballs. And you, yeah. uh, you guys are actually meeting up later today here in San Francisco with some friends you met, I think, in the French in Polynesia mm-hmm. or something? In, yeah. the in the Marquesas. Yep. Cool. So the idea was a seed from long ago. A lot of people have this fantasy of going off how did you make it a reality?
2: I think that a lot of it had to do with planning, knowing what we wanted to do. I think that um, we, we had always talked about it before, like we mentioned, before we were married and in our early married life. There was a, a time we were talking about going sailing before we had kids, and then I had like a mini meltdown, and I said, no, 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 we <laughs> I want to have kids first. And so we kind of got into that life of kids and owning a house and you know collecting things like horses and things that are hard to take <laughs> onto boats and. I expected
1: <laughs> you to say couches and tables <laughs> and horses. Yes, this was a little yeah. harder just to get rid of.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, we had um, we kind of had our own little come to Jesus um, event that happened. I was diagnosed with cancer. And I'm totally fine now. Don't, like, you know, you don't have to make the sad face. It's all, <laughs> it's all good. Um, and it, once we kind of got through that process and we got to the other side of it, Cameron and I really looked at each other and said, we need to make, make this happen. We were driving home from visiting my grandmother, and in the car we just did the basic math on what we would have to do how much do we have to save every month for five years okay if you know if we're going to sail away in five years you know how much do we need for that five years and to buy the boat what's all that you know what do we need to save every month and that was our plan and we essentially executed that plan almost to a t and you know how they say when you sort of verbalize and say that this is what i want to do the universe kind of conspires to assist you and that really happened in a in a big way we had so many blessings kind of end up coming into our lives at that time we had a living situation that materialized where we could um, work in exchange for our rent Um, so we managed a horse boarding facility up in calistoga for the five years before we left cruising so that that allowed us to save money, the money that we needed to save every month, essentially. And we were super frugal. (laughs) We were just really, really frugal for about five years. And we still are.
1: Talk a little bit about that, the budgeting for For saving for cruising and for while you're cruising.
0: So, I mean, we, to kind of throw out numbers, I mean, we had (laughs) guessed that, you know, we would spend somewhere around 30 grand a year living was sort of our guess. Um, And then we sort of, we had looked at boats for a long time and, and we knew we wanted an older, heavy displacement cruising boat. And just looking at numbers, like we sort of felt like if we said, all right, 100 grand, we want to sail away for 100 grand, we want that. And that's like the boat, refit, everything, all in. And so that was sort of how we set the. That was where we built our numbers from initially. Uh, you know, we've met people out cruising that are on, you know, $20,000 boats and are living on 10 grand a year. and um, But Annie was super clear when we started planning for this that she did not want to camp for five years. But I knew that I wanted something simple. So I want keep it simple and Annie doesn't want to camp and so we had to find a happy median and, and, and so we worked together as a family to do that but that was basically our plan and you know we didn't go out for coffees we didn't go out for rest, we didn't go out to restaurants we, we, uh, we did not consume a lot of protein you know we just I won't say we didn't consume a lot of protein but we didn't buy a lot of meat you know mm-hmm. we, we ate well but we cooked at home and we just really minimized we didn't take a vacation for five years and so we uh, we just minimized saved our pinched our pennies everywhere we could
1: and the boat that you eventually ended up getting, where, what is it, and where did you find her?
0: So we found a 1979 Mason 43, mm. and um, and we we had actually, it's interesting because we initially had a Hans Christian that we had found here in the Bay Area that we were really interested in, but it was a private sale, and so we felt like we wanted a broker or kind of someone on our side to make sure we did the right due diligence so that we weren't getting ourselves in trouble. And so we reach, reached out to a broker that, um, I can't remember exactly how we had found them, but we reached out to a broker and and that person took a look at what we were buying and looked at our budget and, and uh, within a day or two sent us this huge long email to say that, you know, I don't think that's the perfect boat for you. And here's an example of 10 other boats that are all on the West Coast from Seattle all the way down to Southern Mexico. And these are all better equipped and they're in better shape. And it just turned out that Banyan, the boat that we have today, was one of those boats. And uh, and she was where? She was in Long Beach. Okay. So she was in Long Beach. I had never heard of a Mason 43. I didn't know anything about them. Um, But they're um, stout. Old cruising boats yeah. um, uh, ours is hull number five wow so the first one was produced in uh, in 1979 and uh, their boats that were built in Taiwan and so they're um, super thick fiberglass, uh, but the interior has re- really nice wood and heavy wood, and so um, she's just, you know, she's a full keel with a cutaway forefoot, uh, and so she's a stout, you know, she's not a boat that, that that works well in a marina, but but for what we're doing, for ocean cruising and spending almost no time in marinas, she's perfect.
1: I want to ask the girls about your space on the boat. Tell me about where, um, where your rooms or your, your bunks, tell me about how you have it set up.
3: I've got my um, my bunk up on the bow of the boat. It's basically kind of like a loft. Um, it's really fun, and I really like it. And
1: Adelaide, what do you do to kind of make it yours? Like um, you don't have a lot of space on a boat, right?
3: No, I I try to like put up posters and like
4: make it homey. And you Isa? I don't really have a room, mm-hmm. so all I where's your bunk. Oh, my bunk, it's in the middle of the boat where the salon is, and then there's a little couch, and above it is my bed, which is like another little couch, and so...
1: A little pilot berth?
4: Yeah, yeah, and so I sleep in the living room, basically, and I just have a tiny bookshelf that's on my feet and a little lamp near my head, but it's really, we use Adelaide's room for a playroom, because she has... a. Very large bed. Not very, but...
1: In comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that um, you've been drawing a bit during our, our interview here. Do you love to draw? Is that one of the things that you do while you're on the boat?
4: Yeah, I, I love drawing dragons a bunch uh-huh. because uh, they aren't a bird like a phoenix and they aren't a, a horse like a pegasus. Yeah. And they were kind of like lizards, snakes, birds. <laughs> 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 and so I love drawing dragons and reading books.
1: Cool, cool. Tell us a bit about adapting onto the boat, to life on the boat.
2: Yeah, well, <coughs> you know, we were fortunate in that we. Moved Banyan to the San Francisco Bay a year before we sailed out of the bay.
1: Mm-hmm. And did and you guys sail it up, or from Long Beach? We ha-
2: we actually had it delivered, which okay. and that was largely because um, we're both in the wine industry and we were mm-hmm. just getting into our harvest ah. season, and there was just no way we were going to be able to take you know that time to sail. So we, anyway, long story short, we had it delivered up here. And then for a year, we sailed Banyan on the weekends, and um, we didn't change anything that first year. We just decided we're going to sail her, see how we like what's on her. And then after that year of sailing, we would decide what were the things that we wanted to retrofit or change or add or or get rid of. And, and um, so that, from a sailing perspective, I think was really great because we were able to... Um, I think just, you know, make some good decisions about what we liked and what we didn't like and the time to make those decisions. And then we moved on to the boat in January of 2015 in the Napa Valley Marina where um, we lived um, just about 40 minutes from there. So when we moved on to the boat, um, we lived on her in the San Francisco Bay until we left in May. And so we had that amount of time sailing across the bay, Um, to to really get used to all the different um, aspects of the boat. It was essentially a very long shakedown (laughs) experience. We saw higher winds here in the bay than we have ever seen since then. Essentially, we got to break the boat and then fix it and break the boat and then fix it. And we would just sail across the bay to different chandlers or anchorages or hardware stores to fix the things that we just broke. <laughs> <So it was laughs> That's great. That's a great,
1: great <laughs> shakedown. You've got everything close at hand.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of getting used to her and sailing that was wonderful that we had that time and and certainly you can buy a boat in you know greece and fly over there and move on to her and sail across people do that all the time but i think that it was a real luxury to have the time that we were able to have with our boat that we were gonna be living on for that amount of time
1: yeah how was going offshore uh different than sailing around the bay
0: it was almost easier in the sense that um, that we're off for you know longer passages, and even our first night, you know, just down to Monterey, was uh, as Annie said, a lot mellower than even the time we had spent here in the in the Bay. But um, I mean, for me, offshore sailing is um, you know it's just a different beast. You just sort of settle in. You really settle in, and and you set the boat for the long haul, and um, and you set the boat to minimize damage and chafe and and things like that. And I think you you in some ways you kind of worry about things differently than uh mm. than when you're here in the bay and and you're obviously not watching as much for traffic and yeah. stuff like that so you sort of say well i shouldn't say you're not watching for traffic but you don't have to worry about as much traffic um when you're in the middle of the pacific and watches how
1: did you guys do watches yeah. Isan adelaide do you stand watch
3: uh we stand watch when um east and i wake up then dad will go downstairs and sleep while we take watch at about eight probably
1: And so you do it together. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had moments on watch where you were like, "Dad, mom, uh, we need a little help here," or?
3: No, not really. But um, but mom saw, you saw the big tankers.
2: Can you tell that story? (laughs) Can you tell that story? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, a Night Watch story. It was, it was more exciting in the moment. Well, we were um, leaving um, Newport. Newport Beach area, and we were heading down to San Diego. And I hadn't had a lot of experience being a primary person on the boat, because our past experience, there was always somebody more senior than I who was awake at that point. And so anyway, this I was on night watch. Cameron was asleep. And just very happily, you know, cruising out of Newport Beach, and it was you know beautiful night. And then I realized somebody was hailing, some military boat was hailing another boat, and I thought, oh, those poor, those poor people. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were giving the GPS coordinates, and I, um, I all of a sudden realized they might be hailing me, and so I, I. F- I figured out without waking up Cameron what my GPS coordinates were.
1: <laughs> Said, "Oh, it so, is so, me." Oh, it's
2: right here <laughs> on the radio thing and there's my GPS coordinates. Oh, it is me. They're trying to hail. So, of course, you know, your heart just goes through the top of your head and I um, went down to Cameron. I was like, "There's a military vessel hailing us." we realized that we were in a spot where we weren't supposed to be they had evidently from the San Diego side they had been sending out announcements about you know the fact that this quadrant of the ocean they're doing military exercises and you weren't supposed to be in there we realized we were sailing straight through it but we figured like the fastest way to get out of it was just to keep going the way we were going so we didn't change anything
1: <laughs> just get out of there and but before they dropped anything on you <laughs> yeah but it
2: was interesting there were a lot of big you know I, th- I guess they were aircraft carriers that were sailing mm. around us and there they would go on and off the radar and their lights would go on and off and they'd be over on the port side and then they would be on the starboard side and it was definitely a little nerve-wracking experience but I learned a lot that night I learned how to determine our GPS location <laughs>
1: Talk a little bit about the learning experience, and you hadn't had that much experience before you set off sailing, Mm -hmm. and Cameron, had you done much ocean sailing?
0: I, I had, I, um, was fortunate. Um, well, when I left Australia as a kid, I went to Indiana, which was a little rough for high school, um, Mm -hmm. that I was a long way away from the ocean. Um, and then after high school, I moved down to Southern Florida. So I did a little bit of offshore sailing around Key West. And then I moved to, I did a summer in Europe traveling. And at the end of that summer, I was able to work out work with SunSail Yacht Charters, Uh, and so I became a, a bear boat captain and flotilla skipper with them in Greece. And at the end of every year, had the opportunity to deliver boats. With SunSail, there's always boats going somewhere. And the first year, I delivered boats around the Med from Greece over to uh, Majorca. And then the following year, I had the opportunity to help them set up a base in the Maldives. So we delivered boats from Turkey all the way down to, uh, to the Maldives and wow. through the Suez Canal and Red Sea and... So that was pretty sweet. And then before Annie and I got married, we uh, we actually crossed the Atlantic together in mm. 2002. Uh, I was doing a wine harvest in Spain. And Annie's next harvest was going to be in Chile. And so uh, I was able to find a boat in Spain that needed, um, that needed help. The, it was an owner that had just purchased a beautiful catamaran and he was a pilot, had loads of navigational experience and stuff like that, but not a lot of sailing experience. So Annie and I hopped on board with him and, and uh, sailed from Lanzarote across to, uh,
1: to Antigua. Wonderful. What do you felt you learned together as a family, in terms of sailing and cruising,
2: we learned a lot, and I think it's it kind of is in coordination with your boat, right? So you're mm-hmm. you're not. We weren't necessarily learning how to sail. We were just learning how to sail our boat in that context. A lot of what you don't get practice doing, like like experience on the radio and what is proper radio protocol. I used to be so afraid to talk on the radio. I'd say actually, so we joined the Baja when we went from um, San Diego down to Mexico, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we weren't 100% sure. Did we want to do this? Did we not? You know, and there was a lot of weighing of whether we wanted to do that or not. But I think what we missed in terms of not being able to see a lot of that coastline because it's a, it's a fairly, it fairly quickly quick. goes. Yeah. Yeah. What we missed in that, we gained uh, so much in just experience. I mean, I would talk on the radio every day or you would get to know people on another boat and so you would be hailing them to figure out a way to get together. And that was where we met many other kid boats. So the whole way down the coast, we hadn't met any other families until we got to San Diego.
1: So you decided to go with to go with the rally uh,
2: we decided to do the haha for many reasons but I think that the reasons that we ended up really appreciating the experience was largely the community that we built through that process the amount of people that we were able to connect with and specifically other kid boats, and also um, you know the there's um, kind of a learning aspect to that process you know there's little captain's briefings and so for Cameron it wasn't as um maybe as necessary but for me and for my process it was really informative and so i i appreciated that a lot in terms of being the responsible person awake and kind of knowing what what to do and how to how to tackle those experiences you know i've of course learned sailing from Cameron so and he's a very patient teacher. <laughs> I know many spouses uh, have difficulty yes. learning from their spouse. Um and I appreciate I appreciate that, but fortunately Cameron, I don't know if we were benefited by the fact that he was teaching me when we were just dating, that probably helped too, but but also he's an extremely patient um very good teacher. And so I was really fortunate in that. He he you know helped me learn how you know, to plot our position and how to you know, do things properly in terms of learning if we're going to cross in front or behind of another boat, those kinds of, of things that, um, that he learned through his life of sailing and also through getting his 110 master license and all of that. So I've learned a lot through him.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while we're on learning, I want to ask Adelaide and Isa a little bit about school while you guys are underway. What do you do for school?
2: We
4: do most of the things that other kids do in class. We do handwriting, uh, FLL, which is first language lessons, and we do music. I play the violin, and Adelaide plays the piano. And Wait,
1: was, so it's <laughs> piano <laughs> on board a 43-foot boat? Oh.
4: <laughs> yeah, so in Adelaide's, in Adelaide's bunk, she has a keyboard on the long side of her bunk, and so she uses that that can plug in.
1: Very cool. I like that a lot. It's something I've wondered about often. It's like, could we fit a keyboard on a boat?
2: You, you know, can. we we met a family that um, had a harp and a keyboard, and we actually had a concert on the beach with Issa playing the violin and Adelaide the piano, and then their two girls playing the their keyboard and their harp, which was really cool. So you will be amazed that there's people on board boats that have drum sets, or you know, usually they're the electronic kind. But um, guitars, obviously, you know, there's there's just tons of you know boating and music kind of go together.
1: That <laughs> so. is great. And Adelaide, when do you guys do school? Because you don't, you're not on a regular schedule.
3: Yeah, we usually start it at uh, at nine. Um, yeah, 9 a.m., but sometimes we'll have things to do like this or we'll have other things to do with friends or we'll have scheduled something and we, sometimes we don't even do school.
1: But, but you manage to, to find time other days or how's that yeah. work if you have to make up?
3: Yeah, we usually, we usually do school mm-hmm. and we usually find time to do it.
1: Yeah, cool. How has homeschooling been for the parents?
2: i would say that it's one of the biggest challenges of having you know, kids on board boats is is deciding how you're going to homeschool them and it's a huge responsibility and there's so many different philosophies and uh, ways that people approach it so it's a really big question you have to ask yourself certainly the education side is not nearly as challenging as the relationship side i think that it's usually the problems that you encounter typically come from the fact that you're mom and dad mm-hmm. and there's not as many social constraints or you know emotional constraints that they would normally have if they were with a teacher they might not melt down and 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 have a fit about some certain aspect of uh, you know something that they're having challenges you guys with. never do they that, never though. melt down no. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. But with mom or dad, obviously, they, you don't have those emotional barriers. And so, so learning as parents, even, you know, I've heard many people that we've met who are professional teachers that homeschooling was just a really different game. Yeah. It's very, very, very much different. And so you have to find the right approach for you and for your child. And it's very different for each family. And it's different for each child. The way we homeschool And we homeschool every day that we can possibly homeschool. So we don't take summer vacation. We don't we don't have a schedule that that is revolving around any kind of land based schedule. So if we are able to school, we school. And then if we're doing other things like this Adelaide mentioned or we have an opportunity to go to a museum or we have an opportunity to go on a hike with another family, we take those opportunities. So. And
1: how much are those opportunities integrated into the curriculum?
2: So we do our best to incorporate um, lots of cultural things. So for example, when we were in French Polynesia, we hooked up with another kid boat. There's two girls about the same age as our girls, spent a bunch of time with them. And we happened to be in a bay with a cultural heritage site. And so the girls did a report on the cultural heritage site, um, Adelaide and, and the older girl did that. And then Issa and their younger daughter did a report on the canoes and the migration of the Polynesian people through Oceana. And so they worked on these reports for a couple of days and then they presented them to three different boat families. Adelaide had done a diorama and Issa and Naomi had put together a bunch of artwork and, and maps and things to show the migration pattern. So, so that's one example of how we end up incorporating. Our kind of school of thought in terms of education is more of a classical education. I really you know, felt like I needed some good resources. I needed some, I wanted the girls to have a really rigorous education and a strong foundation, especially, because, you know, they're not in an institution in our lives, but someday they will have to be. They may want to at least have that option to be in an institution, whether that's, you know, hopefully, I mean, they'll go to college. They have no choice. They're going to college. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to have... You a, heard it here. Yeah. sure not first. <laughs> so to have a little bit of uh, structure imposed in their education... I think will help them in that transition into uh, either a collegiate environment or if we don't know if they're going to go back into school in high school or, you know, that's, that's all very fuzzy and in the future. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I want them to have a, a fairly structured experience as well as take those opportunities when they come to take advantage of the amazing things that we come across, whether that's historic things that we can learn about or cultural things that we can learn about, so.
1: Cameron, give us a quick overview of your route. We know that you started with the Ha, and then um, were in French Polynesia. So what was the...
0: Yeah, so we um, you know, departed here in San Francisco, visited Monterey, Morro Bay, Santa Barbara and then spent a lot of time around the Channel Islands um, and back and forth from the Channel Islands back to Santa Barbara to reprovision and then back to the Channel Islands uh, and then did the 2015 haha ha from Santa Barbara down to Cabo and uh, as Annie mentioned we met up a bu- with a bunch of kid boats um, so with that group of kid boats we then uh, worked our way up to La Paz and to the islands off of La Paz and got our, ourselves uh, a little bit further north in the Sea of Cortez than La Paz, and then it just got too cold. And so we decided then to shoot all the way down, um, let's see, all the way down the coast of mainland Mexico, went south of Banderas Bay, and uh, went as far down as Barro de Navidad. Okay. And I spent a lot of time in the Tinicatita area, and then back up to the Banderas Bay, La Cruz area, which is a kid's club kids hub for mm. of cruising families uh, on the west coast of Mexico uh, and it was around that time that we had an opportunity to help a gentleman uh, build a winery up in Canada and so we we then we thought well, well you know what maybe maybe we could use some money in our kitty and uh, and so we actually set we sailed the boat all the way up to Wymas and hauled her out in Wymas and then spent most of 2016 off of the boat uh, in 2017, we spent some time back on the boat enjoying the upper Sea of Cortez as far north as Santa Rosalia. We basically went back down to um, Agua Verde, almost as far south as we, as we got north in 2015, and, uh, and worked our way up to Santa Rosalia, and then uh, that was 2017. 2018, we committed to make the jump across the, to cross down to New Zealand, so we departed. Uh, so tell me about that decision.
1: Was that, is that something that you knew that you had wanted to do, or was that a game time? Uh,
0: that was always something that I wanted to do. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's part of what you have to do to sail around the world, but then also... Wow. also so that,
1: also, is the, that is the in intended goal.
0: Our, it, it is. It, it is. Uh, you know, the, in, the initial goal was five years together as a family. Okay. And um, let's spend five years together as a family on a boat. If we make it around the world, great. If we don't make it around the world it's it's not the end of the world but um, but uh, but the goal was to, to do that and and yeah. um, and I always uh, I've always loved music and you think back to you know David Crosby's Southern Cross you know on this heading lies the Marquesas and so that was always in my mind as a lyric and it was really big for me to, to part Mexico and to think on this heading lie the Marquesas wow. and to think that that we're off and I always envisioned this landfall in the Marquesas. It was just something that was always in my mind. You know, the first thing that was in my mind was the idea of sailing under the Golden Gate with my family, and Mm -hmm. we achieved that in 2015, and so the next big goal was landfall in the Marquesas and I was just thinking to myself like what's it going to be I was always a visual dream and something that I could close my eyes and I could picture what it was going to be like for my family to sail on Banyan and to enter the Marquesas and what that was going to be like so
1: wow yeah through the South Pacific
0: so yeah so while uh, we uh, arrived in the Marquesas 20 it was a 21-day passage for us into the Marquesas from Banderas Bay and then we spent about six weeks in the Marquesas um, if you're not super organized when you enter French Polynesia uh-huh. you only get three months so we kind of cooked up almost half of our um, time in French Polynesia in the Marquesas because mm. they were so amazing yeah. um, and then so wandered from the Marquesas through the Tuamotus um, and then. eventually into the society islands Um, and then upon departure from the societies we decided that uh, we wanted to go see the uh, go see saguaro which is northern cook islands Um, we showed up there we were the last uh, cruising boat to show up that year and we had them we had the saguaro to ourselves and so it was amazing we had two the two rangers just went all out to show us um, saguaro we got to see parts of saguaro that that Often, you don't get to see if there's a lot of people there because the rangers just don't maybe have the time to visit some of the outer outer atolls and outer areas. And then from Saguaro, we moved on to Nui. And then a very quick, visit to Tonga before uh, heading on down to New Zealand and uh, and even that passage to New Zealand too I guess after the Marquesas then the next thing on my mind was New Zealand because that uh, is often known all sailing all the way around the world as one of the most challenging landfalls and one of the most challenging passages from the South Pacific to New Zealand and mm-hmm. so it's a good feeling to have that under our belt as well.
1: And so that was about a year ago that you made land. We, we
0: made landfall on November. Yeah, I want to say November oh. 10th or 11th of
1: 2018. Okay, in New Zealand. Wow. And girls, tell me about some of the highlights and lowlights for you of sailing across the Pacific Ocean. What do you, What sticks out in your head?
4: I loved that we got to go to all of the remote islands because yeah. they were so beautiful and amazing. We got to snorkel there, and one. Of what was the, the snorkeling the like there? Well, some places it was kinda gray, mm. but at, but they were still very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And at other places, it was so beautiful with colors that popped out, and a bunch of coral reefs that were just lovely. And at Saguaro, we also got to see the giant man rays. I
1: saw a video that you guys took of that.
4: Yeah, they were so beautiful. And one of the low lights would be... Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. that's good. That one doesn't come to mind. Adelaide, what were some of the most memorable moments for you, either good or bad?
3: Well, there was one that was like a learning experience, but it was also like, bad. Um, I uh, I got a cactus um, stuck all the way up my foot. Um, the learning experience was don't walk on the beach without shoes on. Mm. That was the most memorable one, I think.
1: That w- <laughs> would be memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, th- that brings up the question of medical mm. attention on, on board.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, a lot of people, who don't feel as self-sufficient, say, how dare you take your children off to these remote regions where there isn't easy medical assistance? How do you deal with those, that criticism or those thoughts?
2: Yeah, those are things that we thought about a lot before we sailed away. And I, I sort of took that on as a responsibility be the family medical (laughs) person so um, the way i armed myself when we bought the boat she had a really amazing medical kit that had been put on board when she was leaving new zealand the last time with a previous owner and we i had said oh my gosh this medical kit's amazing that's that's all we need right and i cracked it open one day and there's like syringes in there and there's things that i don't know what it is and i've i've you know, doctored horses my whole life, so syringes aren't really scary to me, but I didn't have an understanding of all the, the medicines that were inside of it and what they should be used for. So that started me on a journey of, okay, how do I, how do I do this? And prepare. So I ended up um, working with a medical professional to re outfit my med kit. And then I also took um, wilderness first responder course mm-hmm. that is, uh, I took it through Knowles and it was amazing. It was really intensive. Um, we also have two doctors who we know personally who've agreed to give us their cell phone number. And they know that if they see our SAT phone number coming up in the middle of the night, they've agreed to pick up the phone. Yeah. And help us. Um, That's we've nice also, security. yeah, yeah. So, so knowing what I really wanted to know. I mean, certainly there are risks that that are insurmountable. If somebody gets appendicitis in the middle of the ocean, you know, we only have so many tools at our disposal. That's a, a risk that we are, um, as a family, have to accept. And we have to look at the other side of that look at the you know what are how are we preparing for the other possible things that go on what i've come to experience is that we're much more careful with every little teeny tiny thing that happens medically so we tackle things as soon as they pop up um, and we're we're very into prevention we much more often open up the medicine cabinet to use things that are over the counter than, than, you know, anything that's a more, more serious injury.
1: And uh, as Adelaide says, you take things as learning experiences. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) And also you have to remember, even though we're cruising around the world and it does seem like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we cross that line outside of the United States and and you're in this no man's land of medicine. And that's not really the case because there's wonderful healthcare in Mexico that we've experienced and other cruisers have experienced. We have experienced wonderful healthcare in French Polynesia. There are doctors outside of the United States Mm -hmm. and those medical systems very often are much easier to navigate than our own. The real time of high risk in terms of you know serious medical injury would be when you're offshore Mm -hmm. and that's that's something that you really have to you really have to think about and and weigh as a family and 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 prepare yourself for as as best you can
1: i want to ask both of you parents the same question i asked the girls what a highlight or low light from the trip was there any time when you were offshore or uh, when you were traveling through the islands that really stick out to you
0: I mean the biggest highlight in general is just the time that we have with the family and Mm -hmm. and um, you know if I had to sort of choose a geographical location I think that um, I think the Tuamotus were absolutely amazing and a, a spot that you know we went through too quickly and I look forward to our next loop through there to uh hopefully see a little bit more of it and and i thought new as well was you know a spot that quite frankly i didn't even want to go to because you know i don't like paying for moorings and i just would prefer to anchor and i just didn't really necessarily want to go there but it was on the way and it turned out to just be spectacular i mean visibility of you know 200 300 feet and and just amazing people and and just a really great experience for all of us so
1: annie
2: you did a highlight i'm trying to think of a low light i think what we were talking a little bit in the car on the way here that's one of the things that is the hardest part of cruising is um and we've been very fortunate actually to only have experienced this a few times but not being home during the holidays Uh so when when you do long-term travel or um cruising usually you're doing it on a small budget you can't afford to fly the whole family home we've been fortunate that we've had work obligations that have brought us back to the united states Mm -hmm. that's helped offset the cost of that travel but many families don't have that opportunity and so i get really sad if we're not at home during thanksgiving and with family and friends and i think that's the thing that being away from that made me realize how much i value it so that's the hardest part there's so many good parts. The cruising community is amazing. I've loved um, the, the other families that we've met. Even when you meet them only for a few weeks, it's this really highly bonding experience. And mm-hmm. they're, they're people that all the barriers to entry and cruising make it more likely that you're going to really enjoy these people in fact even today this afternoon we're spending time with a family that we met in the marquesas and tomorrow we're spending time with a family who now lives here in the bay who we met in mexico when they were cruising for three years so these relationships that you find along the way are really valuable and i think that they're just something that's really special about the cruising life
1: that's great we've got an outboard i think that's being tested down below that's (laughs) that noise you hear in the background but um I know you guys do need to get to meet this family who you're going out on the Alma with, which is very exciting. We've got a good foggy San Francisco day <laughs> for you guys to <laughs> head out into here. But I wanted to quickly ask, wrap up, uh, you've been, the boat's in New Zealand, you've been traveling on land for about the past year. When you look forward, w- what's the plan? When do you head back to the boat and where to next?
0: Uh, we will be back on the boat in January, uh, heading towards Southeast Asia. Um, so hopefully we'll be in Southeast Asia about this time next year, and uh, and then South Africa for the following Christmas. So South Africa Christmas
1: 2021 is kind of the rough the rough plan right now. Wow. And girls, how long do you think you want to keep doing this cruising?
4: Well, I quite enjoy it a lot, and so I I be very happy to keep going for five years yeah
1: yeah Natalie?
3: i want to stay until mom kicks me out <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love it i love it well i really want to thank both of you all of you Welcome. um thank you ben and this has been great we're getting <laughs> the send off <laughs> here so it's been great thanks ben thank you, so much,
4: thank, ben. you. thank you
1: like to learn more about the vauders and their travels, check out their blog at vaudersonthewater.com. Vauders is V-A-W-T-E-R-S Vaudersonthewater.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. As always, until next time, smooth sailing. Off
5: the wind Letting live the Marquesas We got 80 feet of a waterline Nice to be making way In a noisy bar in Avalon I tried to call you But on the midnight watch I realized why right twice you ran away Think about, think about And And we never failed to fail It was the easiest thing to do You will survive being bested Somebody fine will come along Make me forget about loving you In the Southern Cross